for various reasons we haven't met for a couple of weeks but I thought that I would just put down on the CD a few of the things which I've been reflecting over these last couple of weeks and as we have made this journey through Deuteronomy and the world events that have taken place in these past weeks indicate to me the very nearness of the return of our bridegroom for his bride and it's on these events that have taken place that I want to just think about for a while to start with I suppose the main thing of which we are all aware is the unbelievable suggestion of the Archbishop of Canterbury whatever he said or meant and I heard one lawyer say that he had to read the speech or he had read the speech over about three times and he was still not sure what was intended but whatever he said a supposed minister of Jesus Christ should not have been saying it you know for years we have been sending missionaries overseas seeking to fulfill the grand commission which Jesus gave seeking to bring light into the darkness of the heathen world Jesus said all power is given unto me in heaven and earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world and you know as I was thinking about this what did Jesus say we were to teach the nations to make disciples of the nations we were to baptize them and then we were to instruct them in the doctrines of Jesus Christ you know I think part of the trouble is that most churches have twisted the words of our Lord they baptize before they teach and the error starts there teach them make disciples of them and then baptize them is what Jesus said what the churches have done is they baptize them and then they seek to teach them remember we said a few weeks ago about the leaning tower of Pisa an error in the foundation of our faith causes a larger and larger error as the building grows and an error in the church that is at the very foundation causes a greater error to occur all along the line consider for a while the parables the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the sower now these parables refer to the kingdom of heaven which in these parables is Christendom and it says about the parable of the sower came to pass that as he sowed some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up the disciples asked Jesus what the parable meant and his explanation of the fowls of the air 
he says, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Satan, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So Jesus' explanation of the fowls of the air is Satan coming and robbing them of the word. Going on to the parable of the mustard seed. It is a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Who are the fowls of the air? Satan and his cohorts. They come and they rest and shelter under this great tree. And we can see that when we look out at all the ecumenism and churches Within those organizations we see the fowls of the air resting. You know, Paul, when he was leaving Ephesus, we've said this on so many occasions, he prophesied that the church would be infiltrated also by wolves in sheep's clothing. And they would come in and scatter the sheep. He said that impurity corrupt doctrine would come in and we see that has happened and we see that the churches now give solace and shelter to the fowls of the air Satan in deadly disguise sadly I think that the Church of England is now pivotal and in some ways a driving force to that position I quite honestly fail to see how any believer can stay in a church such as this established by law whose bishops and archbishops are appointed by a corrupt parliament has a human head an apostate archbishop they participate in the government of a worldly state and now promoting false satanic religions you know there was an outcry when the Archbishop made these comments but what happened at the Synod sort of the government of the of the Anglican Church Williams got a standing ovation he got a standing ovation for promoting a Muslim law an Islamic law now we're told on every hand that Williams is a great theologian and an exceedingly bright man. <laughs> Thank God for 1 Corinthians 1, 26. What does it say? For we see, ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. 
and base things of the world and things which are despised God hath chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence and Jesus prayed to his father he said I thank thee father Lord of heaven and earth because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes Matthew eleven twenty-five. the whole trouble with things as they are at present is ecumenism which encompasses the fowls of the air nesting in its branches you know it was very significant too that the head of the Roman Catholic Church Murphy O'Connor also supported Williams strange well not so strange you probably realise that the Roman Catholic Church has lost a lot of clout in Ireland and elsewhere for the massive beastly disgusting sexual abuse of children by their priests you know we were listening the other day to Radio Warren and the main cardinal for Ireland just the other day sought the protection of the courts against one of his own bishops in order not to have to produce documents relating to sexual abuse cases fortunately his attempts were thwarted and you say why? what is the Catholic position in relation to Muslims and this is why he was so quick to encourage and to back Williams paragraph 841 of the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church which John Paul said was produced in order that people would know what they actually believe here's what it says the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator in the first place among whom are the Muslims got that? the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator in the first place amongst whom are the Muslims these the Muslims profess to hold the faith of Abraham and together with us they adore the one merciful God mankind's judge on the last day together with us they adore the one merciful God mankind's judge on the last day what this is saying is that Allah and God of the Bible are one and the same see the, the other thing the Muslims Islam rejects totally that God has a son many times repeated in the Quran and elsewhere and so this statement by the, the Roman Catholic Church is all the more incomprehensible the whole basis of the Christian faith is that God sent forth his son to be the saviour of the world Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says and brothers I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also you have received and in which you stand by which you also are being kept safe 
if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received he had a special revelation from God that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures the basis of our faith and yet the Roman Catholic Catechism says the two gods Allah and the God of the Bible who sent his son to be our saviour are one and the same and the Muslims say God does not have a son Williams was very happy to pray at the coffin of the late Pope perhaps to help get him out of purgatory but he prayed there with Murphy O'Connor and he was prepared to stand and pray to supposedly our God alongside others Muslims praying to their moon God hence the crescents all over the place the Hindus praying to the thousands of gods and so on so with this compromise which he has got himself into it is little wonder that he wishes to impose Islamic Sharia law onto us as well apparently he must be unaware that there is hardly one Islamic country that is democratic and where there is total or even partial religious freedom what happens to a woman caught committing adultery in these countries practicing Sharia law death by stoning one is only to go online and you will find vivid examples of this wicked practice in detail what is the penalty for converting from Islam death to this day countries such as Saudi Arabia Afghanistan, Iran and Iraq are known for executing their citizens by sword for leaving the faith some countries perhaps such as Pakistan, Bangladesh and Egypt where they may not practice actual beheading instead of death converts face social ostracism families disown them they have to leave their places of work and cannot expect their children's education to continue in Egypt the person having converted from Islam has to face the possibility of imprisonment and being labelled an enemy of the state on the Malacca Islands in Indonesia converts are forced back into Islam at gunpoint and in Pakistan and Iran they can count on being shot to death in broad daylight all this persecution results in few converts daring to stand for their new religion if it's all possible they leave for another country forced back into their faith at gunpoint because this is not all that much different from what Augustine so favoured by Calvinists he forced people into the Roman Catholic Church he said it was better for them to be forced in if they didn't go in voluntarily we were listening to Radio Warren the other day and a woman was being interviewed she and her family are Roman Catholics her sister's son a cameraman for the BBC was murdered in Saudi Arabia her sister and family went out to Saudi 
even though her son had been murdered and some others injured, no one in any official capacity ever visited or met them. On arrival at the airport, she was told not to bring anything religious into the country. Not even her rosary beads, which for a Catholic was, was devastating. No crucifixes, no prayer book, nothing. She was actually given clothes to put on her head and that type of thing, what she must wear. She asked to see her son and had to obtain permission from the king to do so. She was, given, she was taken by the British and Irish embassies to the morgue. If it wasn't for the embassies, she would have been left totally on her own. She was not allowed to have a quiet time with her son. A drawer was pulled out, she saw her son and the drawer was closed and that was that. And this is what Rowan Williams, the Anglican Archbishop, wants to impose on us. You just can't pick and choose the bits of Sharia law you want. It will be all. You see, there seems to be a foot in the world. A movement. And it would appear that Williams is, is part of this movement. To remove the demands of the gospel on the life of those in the world and even on believers. The gospel as portrayed in scripture is no longer, longer acceptable to many people. Biblical truths are under attack and at times quite viciously under attack. Creationism is now being totally outlawed. The moral laws of the Bible are being flouted by churches and by individuals. We were asked the other day as to why Jesus did not condemn homosexuality. Well the obvious reason was that Jesus was teaching among the Jews who were totally aware of the law and its condemnations. Paul on the other hand was the apostle to the Gentiles. It was his duty to teach the new converts and others the necessity to maintain a, biblically, a biblical morality as to how to live their lives. In that respect, Romans 2, 14 to 16, let's read those. When Gentiles who are not, who have not the divine law, do instinctively what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, since they do not have the law. They show that the essential requirements of the, of the law are written in their hearts, and are operating there with which their consciences their sense of right and wrong also bear witness and their moral decisions their arguments of reason their condemning or approving thoughts will accuse or perhaps defend and excuse them on that day when as my gospel proclaims God by Jesus Christ will judge men in regard to the things which they conceal, their hidden thoughts. Interesting. You know, we've been talking about Williams and what he believes. We see men like Rick Warren. Rick Warren is known as America's preacher hundreds of thousands of people 
receive information from Rick Warren weekly. He has produced books which have sold in their millions. We see him cohorting, he says, with any man of peace who will work with him on his plan to establish the kingdom of God on earth. He says, you find a man of peace in a village, it can be anything, and he'll work with him. Now, I believe this man has great influence on church leaders throughout the world. It's very obvious he has. And even in the secular world, he lectures and he preaches. And he probably has some influence on Williams. I know there are other bishops within the Anglican Church. And they are influenced greatly by these purpose-driven books. We see men like Hybels in Willow Creek. And they are all seeking to prepare this world, this sinful world which is under the judgment of God. They think that they can prepare this work, this world for the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he won't return until this work that they are doing will be done. Sadly, we see all around us today evidence of actions by those calling themselves the followers of Jesus. And we too are warned. 2 Corinthians six fourteen and so on. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people wherefore wherefore because of all that come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and my daughters saith the Lord Almighty God is looking for a separated people are we prepared to walk the pathway which God desires of each of us it may be a lonely path, a quiet and lonely valley, but we have the assurance of his wonderful presence with us day by day. He will be a father to us. You know, we're living in very strange days. As I said before, we firmly believe that the rapture of the church will soon be upon us. And then we'll be ushered in the great tribulation and all the events which will eventually lead to the return of Christ to set up his earthly kingdom. Most churches, you see, don't believe this. Most churches, as we've said, believe that they will prepare this sinful world for the coming again. They're going to improve it before the Lord will come back. 
We see also that there is one God. But we see the church leaders prepared to accept fellowship with those who believe in multiples of God. What is it? There is one God. Who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? Scripture goes on to tell us in Psalms 96 and verse 5 all the gods of the nations are idols. 1 Corinthians 8.4 As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols we know that an idol is nothing. Is a non-entity in the world. And that there is none other God but one. Look what it says. The gods of the nations are idols. There is none other God but one. Alongside this falling away from scripture. This turning to man's ideas. We see the situation as a result of that. We see in the world things that are happening. The situation in the Middle East is developing fast. Tony Blair, I was reading the other day, anticipates, he thinks, a solution to the Middle East problem within 2008. We of course know that scripture prophesies that in the end times Israel will make a, a pact, a truce, with the Antichrist for seven years and that will be broken after three and a half years we see the beginning or more than the beginning of the one world church we see one world government spreading throughout the world Williams and others have brought abominations into houses dedicated to the worship of the one God their cathedrals were built for the worship of God now we may not agree with their theology but their churches were built for the worship of the one true God we read in Deuteronomy 7.26 a few weeks ago neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house lest thou be cursed a cursed thing like it but thou shalt utterly detest it and thou shalt utterly abhor it for it is a cursed thing Jeremiah 23.11 for both prophet and priest are profane yea in my house have I found their wickedness saith the Lord Ezekiel 44 verse 7 In that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to pollute it even my house when ye offer my bread the fat and the blood and they have broken my covenant because of all your abominations Ezekiel 44 again in verse 12 because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity 
Therefore have I lifted up mine hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity. Jesus said, of course, in Matthew, when, when the, the temple was desecrated, he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And as we have been studying through Deuteronomy, we have been looking at these things on odd occasions. It's wonderful to have been able to see the pattern of things sometimes revealed to us in Scripture in the Old Testament, which is now taking place in churches, unfortunately, in our present day. And so this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5 is such an important verse. We looked at it the last time we met and I make no excuses for returning back to it again just here at this time. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there even unto his habitation shall ye seek and thither thou shalt come. The NASB said, But ye shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. Your God will choose to establish his name and his habitation. He will put his name there and dwell amongst his people. What an amazing verse this really is when we actually let the enormity of it sink in. It's, it's, it's amazing. The Creator God will choose to put his name amongst his people and dwell there. How privileged the children of Israel were to have a God dwelling within their midst. The Amplified Version says the name of God is equivalent to his gracious presence in passages such as this one. The place where God puts his name is the place where the Lord himself chooses to dwell. This name which is above every name, the ineffable name, indescribable, wondrous, awesome, marvelous, that indefinable name. And he will put his name there. You know, as we look through scripture, we see, and it is obvious, I'm sure, even to a casual reader of scripture, that the revelation of God, which he revealed to his people, was uh, gradual and progressive. We saw in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when we were looking at it, that to the Israelites, God was hid in clouds and thick darkness. Deuteronomy 4.11 And he came near and stood under the mountain and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. Psalm 97 repeats this. Clouds and darkness are around about him. Righteousness and judgment 
are the habitation of his throne. And so long as this situation prevailed, what was the extent of his revelation to man at that particular time? How different, how different now to us, for us as believers. Instead of clouds and thick darkness, we walk in the light of God's presence. Why? Because the light of this world has come. You know, when Christ has had accomplished his work of atonement and redemption, finishing the work which God had given him to do, having been made sin for us, having tasted death for every man, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. It's such a picture of the fact that God was hidden from man by that thick veil. But when that was broken, God could then and only then express his heart to man for what is revealed in Christ on the solid and justifiable ground of redemption. It was then that God could reveal his real heart of love for mankind, for you and for me. And man who is still in darkness until the light of God shines into his darkened heart must come to that light in order to have fellowship with God. The old hymn says, No darkness have we who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. We must realize also that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. He is immutable incapable of changing or being changed. His character and attributes do not change. God is the same in nature and character in both the Old and the New Testaments. Yes, it's true that in various ages and dispensations these characteristics may not be apparent and evident. But God is immutable. And this is reflected in the various names of God given in various scriptures. All these various names of God are met and revealed in Jesus Christ and expressed in, in aspects of his work for, in and through the church and the world. Here's Here's something what I mean. In the New Testament we see a Godhead portrayed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This aspect is not spelled out as clearly, obviously, in the Old Testament. Look at the names of God in the Old Testament. Let us look at Genesis 1, 26. And God said... Let us make man in our image after our 
likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The word God there, Elohim, is a plural word. Hence we have let us signifying more than one. The singular of that would be Eloah. A word used by, by many about their gods. Jehovah is the name that God took in relation to his covenant people. When he entered into a covenant with his people, the name Jehovah, God took upon himself. And so in Exodus 9, 1, we read, Then the Lord said, that's Jehovah, said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, The Lord, Jehovah, the Lord God, Elohim, of the Hebrews said. Showing that God, Jehovah, and the omnipotent God, Elohim, were one and the same. And so the question was asked in Psalm 28 and verse 31. For who is God save the Lord? Who is, a, who is God, who is Eloah, save Jehovah? Who is our rock, save our Elohim, our God? Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel, and Elohim, the omnipotent God. One and the same person. So God was present in creation. Elohim, the plural God, was there in creation. And then we see the Spirit of God moved across the face of the waters in Genesis. So we have Elohim and the Spirit all there at creation. John chapter 1. We have the same type of thing repeated in the New Testament. The Old Covenant, Elohim, and the Spirit moving upon the face of the waters in the first creation. In the New Testament, bringing in the second creation, we turn to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in 32, we read John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. In Genesis 1, we see the old creation in which the Trinity was present and active, albeit not revealed to man. Likewise, in John 1, we see the new creation which will come through Christ and the Trinity are active there as well. Incidentally, the creed which says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is not correct, as you can see. And so this creator God, Elohim, was to dwell with his people and make his abode with them. In the New Testament, we have the wonderful revelation that this same God will dwell with each believer. Our bodies are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't go into this in any great detail. Someday, perhaps, we could do a series on the names of God 
if we're if we're capable. But there's one other one, just one other one. Look at the one which says uh, Exodus six and verse two. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, Jehovah. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by the name of Jehovah was I not known unto them. El, God, Shaddai, Almighty. God appeared to the old patriarchs as the Almighty God. Genesis 17 verse 1. And Abraham was 90 years old and 9. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Same with Isaac. Isaac when he was blessing Jacob. And God Almighty bless thee. El Shaddai. The Almighty God. The Omnipotent God. And so. He appeared to those patriarchs. Before the covenant relationship with God. When he then took the name of Jehovah. He appeared to them as. Almighty God. Almighty God. Wonderful if we turn now to the passage we've already read in 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty, the Almighty God. That self-same almighty God who appeared to the patriarchs wishes to dwell with you and with me and to be a father on us, to us as we live a life separated from the world. There are many other names. Some we see in the New Testament, some in the Old, but wherever they are, they are reflected in our Lord Jesus Christ. Reflect this week as you listen, as you sort of think over these things. The name which is above every name. Think of that in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. What a wonderful name. For he shall save his people from their sins. He was to be called Emmanuel. God with us. Oh, what a wonderful verse this is in Deuteronomy 5. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there. Even unto his habitation shall ye seek and thither shalt thou come. We walk in the light as he is in the light. And he dwells with us. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. The joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known.